Section one of Blackfeet Tales of Glacier National Park. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Blackfeet Tales of Glacier National Park by James Willard Schultz. Section one Hugh Monroe. July twelfth, nineteen fifteen after an absence of many years i have returned to visit for a time my blackfeet relatives and friends and we are camping along the mountain trails where in the long ago we hunted buffalo and elk and moose and all the other game peculiar to this region to-day we pitched our lodges under rising wolf mountain that massive sky-piercing snow-crested height of red and gray rock which slopes up so steeply from the north shore of upper two medicine lake this afternoon we saw upon it some two or three thousand feet up toward its rugged crest a few bighorn and a rocky mountain goat but we may not kill them said tail feathers coming over the hill there they are our meat but the whites have taken them from us even as they have taken everything else that is ours and so we are eating beef where once we feasted upon the rich ribs and loins of game which tasted all the better because we trailed and killed it and with no little labor brought it to the women-folk in camp rising wolf mountain what a fitting and splendid monument it is to the first white man to traverse the foothills of the rockies between the saskatchewan and the missouri Hugh Monroe was his English name. His father was Captain Hugh Monroe of the English army. His mother was Amélie de la Roche, a daughter of a noble family of French émigrés. Hugh Monroe, Jr., was born in Montreal in 1798. In 1814 he received permission to enter the employ of the Hudson's Bay Company, and one year later, in the summer of 1815, he arrived at its new post mountain fort on the north fork of the saskatchewan and close to the foothills of the rockies at that time the company had but recently entered blackfeet territory and none of its engagés understood their language an interpreter was needed and the factor appointed monroe to fit himself for the position the blackfeet were leaving the fort to hunt and trap along the tributaries of the missouri during the winter and he went with them under the protection of the head chief who had nineteen wives and two lodges and an immense band of horses by easy stages they travelled along the foot of the rockies to sun river where they wintered and then in the spring instead of returning to the saskatchewan they crossed the missouri hunted in the yellowstone country that summer wintered on the missouri at the mouth of the marias river and returned to mountain fort the following spring with all the furs their horses could carry instead of one winter monroe had passed two years with the tribe and in that time had acquired a wife a daughter of the great chief a good knowledge of the language and an honorable name Maquii Powaxen, Rising Wolf, which was given him because of his bravery in a battle with the Crows in the Yellowstone country. During Monroe's two years' absence from the fort, 
Another engagé had learned the Blackfeet language from a Cree Indian, who spoke it well, so that this man became the interpreter, and Monroe was ordered to remain with the Piegan tribe of the Blackfeet to travel with them and see that they came annually to the fort to trade in the winter catch of furs. And this exactly suited him. He much preferred roaming the plains with his chosen people. The stuffy rooms of the fort had no attractions for a man of his nature. How I envy Hugh Monroe, the first white man to traverse the plains lying between the upper Saskatchewan and the upper Missouri, and the first to see many portions of the great stretch of the mountain region between the Missouri and the Yellowstone. He has himself often told me that every day of that life was a day of great joy. Monroe was a famous hunter and trapper, and a warrior as well. He was a member of the Ienakicks, or Caesar band, of the All Friends Society, and the duty of the Caesars was to keep order in the great camp, and see that the people obeyed the hunting laws, a most difficult task at times. On several occasions he went with his and other bands to war against other tribes, and once near Great Salt Lake when, with a party of nearly two hundred warriors, he saved the lives of the noted Jim Bridger and his party of trappers. Bridger had with him a dozen white men and as many snake Indians, the latter bitter enemies of the Blackfeet. The snakes were discovered, and the Blackfeet party was preparing to charge them when Monroe saw that there were white men behind them. "'Stop! White men are with them! We must let them go their way in peace!' Monroe shouted to his party. "'But they are snake-white men, and therefore our enemy. We shall kill them all,' the Blackfeet chief answered. However, such was Monroe's power over his comrades that he finally persuaded them to remain where they were, and he went forward with a flag of truce and found that his friend Jim Bridger was the leader of the other party. That evening white men and snakes and Blackfeet ate and smoked together. It was a narrow escape for Bridger and his handful of men. Monroe had three sons and three daughters by his Indian wife, all of whom grew into fine stalwart men and women. Up and down the country he roamed with them, trapping and hunting, and often fighting hostile war parties. They finally all married, and in his old age he lived with one and another of them until his death in 1896, in his ninety-eighth year. We buried him near the Buffalo Cliffs, down on the Two Medicine River, where he had seen many a herd of the huge animals decoyed to their death. And then we named this mountain for him, a fitting tribute, I think, to one of the bravest yet most kindly men of the old, old West. At the upper east side and head of this beautiful lake rises a pyramidal mountain of great height and grandeur a frowse of pine timber on its lower front slope and its ever-narrowing side slopes above give it a certain resemblance to a buffalo bull upon looking at a recent map of the country i found that it had been named mount rockwell so turning to yellow wolf i said the whites have given that mountain yonder the name of a white man it is so marked upon this paper the old man half blind and quite feeble roused up when he heard that and cried out is it so not satisfied with taking our mountains the whites even take away the ancient names we have given them they shall not do it 
you shall tell them so that mountain yonder is rising bull mountain and by that name it must ever be called rising bull was one of our great chiefs what more fitting than that the mountain should always bear his name rising bull was a chief in two tribes yellow wolf went on in his youth he married a flathead girl at a time when we were at peace with that people and after a winter or two she persuaded him to take her across the mountains for a visit with her relatives rising bull came to like them and all the flathead people so well that he remained with them a number of winters and because of his bravery and his kind and generous nature the flatheads soon appointed him one of their chiefs when he was about forty winters of age some young men of both tribes quarrelled over a gambling game and several were killed on each side that of course ended the peace pact war was declared and as rising bull could not fight his own people he came back to us with his flathead wife and was a leader in the war which lasted for several years when that was ended he continued to lead war parties against the crows the sioux the assiniboines and the far-off snakes and was always successful came the dreadful measles winter and with hundreds of our people he died he left a son white quiver a very brave young warrior and two years after his father's death he was killed in a raid against the crows ah rising bull was a brave man and oh so gentle-hearted so good to the widows and orphans to all in any kind of distress we must in some way see that this mountain continues to bear his name said tails feather coming over the hill and to that i most heartily agree july fifteen we are a considerable camp of people yellow wolf my old uncle-in-law tail feathers coming over the hill another uncle-in-law big spring two guns black bull stabs by mistake eagle child eli guardipi or takes gun ahead and with them they have their eleven women and fourteen children all are my especial friends and all the men have been to war some of them many times and have counted coup among the enemy tail feathers coming over the hill has many battle scars on different parts of his body i was with him when he got the last one in a fight with the crees the bullet struck him in the forehead ripped open the scalp clear to the back of his head but did not penetrate the skull he dropped instantly when struck and we at first thought that he was dead it was some hours before he regained consciousness with all these men and especially tail feathers coming over the hill and guaripi i hunted and travelled much in the old days naturally we spend much of our time telling over this and that of our adventures meantime the children play around as happy as indian children ever are and their mothers do the lodge work which is light and gather in groups to chat and joke the boys have just been skipping stones on the smooth surface of the lake the number of skips a stone makes before it finally sinks denotes the number of wives the caster will have when he reaches manhood tail feathers coming over the hill and two guns are medicine men the former has the elk medicine pipe the latter the water medicine pipe both ancient medicines in the tribe 
they are spiritual not material medicines in fact they are the implements used in prayers to the sun and other gods and each carries with it a ritual of its own tail feathers coming over the hill has just told me that we will have some prayers with his pipe a few days from now i shall be glad to take part in it all once more july sixteen again my people are filled with resentment against the whites i told them this afternoon that the falls in the river between this and the lower lake had been given a foolish white men's name i could not tell them what it was for there is no blackfeet equivalent for the word trick but what a miserable circus-suggesting name that is to give to one of the most beautiful of waterfalls and the only one of its kind in america and in all the world for all i know a short distance below the outlet of the upper lake the river sinks and a half mile further on gushes into sight from a jagged hole halfway up the side of a high and almost perpendicular cliff in the long ago we named that pitipankin falls said tails feathers coming over the hill yes and who was he i asked although i had a fair recollection of the story of that personage but i had forgotten the details of it and wanted them all not he but she he corrected me but pitabankan running eagle is a man's name i objected true but this woman earned the right to bear a man's name and so it was given her she was the only woman of our people to receive that honor so far as i know listen you shall hear about it end of section one